Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, good day. Welcome. This is uh, Better Make It Quick. This is the Wednesday version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that's here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday, something you hear on this show and every show will do just that. And uh, we managed to make that happen by having conversations with all kinds of people from all walks of life from all over the world. Some of them are experts in their field and everything that they have to say. Every episode that we have on this show, there's something that will make you go, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll try that out. And boom, Better Than Yesterday. That's the job. That's what we do. We've been doing it since 2013. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a, a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a suit wearer. I'm currently a hiding in a walk-in wardrobe at work on the floor doing uh, hip rehab exercises while a camera crew resets outside. I won't tell you what I'm shooting, but I'm, I'm shooting something. And look, on Wednesdays, we have a, a, a quick version of this show. I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And on Wednesdays, I've asked Bree, who's one of the people that works here, to go back through the back catalogue and find episodes that she really wants to highlight because, you know, we've got different tastes. And so far, the Wednesday episodes have just been fantastic. I've really enjoyed listening back to uh, some of these conversations. So here's a couple of chunks of a previous conversation. I really would love you to go back and check out the full episode. Today, we are going to revisit the conversation I had with Sam Yam. Sam Yam is the CEO and the co-founder of Patreon. He graduated from Stanford University in Northern California. And as you know, Patreon, well, it's a platform that essentially allows fans to financially support artists and creators. If this podcast has a Patreon, uh, if you listen to any podcast, you'll hear about Patreon. But some people make a really decent living out of it. Sam and I caught up in 2020. We caught up face-to-face. He was in Australia. It was actually pretty cool. And Sam works in Silicon Valley, the center of the the tech world, the high-tech world, essentially. It's it's a small place, but it is absolutely popping with ideas and wealth and innovation. And I did ask Sam, what was it like having lived there for so long? 
I mean, I think you touched on the point on just how small Silicon Valley is. I mean, I have all kinds of ridiculous stories of people that I've run into that now like are, are very ubiquitous companies. Like, well, not only is Kevin Systrom, the founder of Instagram, uh, like Stanford 06, which is when I graduated, but I was working across the table from him as he was building Instagram because we were in this incubator called Dogpatch Labs. And at the time, you know, he was building out Instagram with his co-founder, Mike, but what he was describing as uh, what they would ultimately build would be like a suite of applications that were around lifestyle. And so, you know, Instagram photos may be one of those pieces, but there might be other ones around calendaring or or location. And uh, it just turns out that Instagram ended up being so big that that was the thing. And it's interesting because you're saying how small this world is and how you run to everyone. I think a lot of people are also just figuring out as they go along. They're trying different things and some folks strike gold and there's an element of sort of like almost serendipitous connection and luck involved in just hitting the thing that works. And that, yes, and that does happen when you are in that, I don't want to use the analogy because we're experiencing, as you would no doubt understand, being in this country these few days, extraordinary, terrifyingly frightening bushfires at the moment. Yeah. But when you're in the situation where there's just so many people ready to invest, so many people with so many ideas, so many things in this kind of pressurised environment that people are going to take a chance, people are going to throw some capital your way and try and, you know, push things forward and think something's going to ignite. And the idea that for every Instagram or for every Patreon, yeah. there are 10,000 that didn't work, maybe more <laughs> that yeah. didn't work. I mean, the, the byproduct of this is also you see your peers that are close to you just, you know, hit off on rocket ships. And it, in some ways, drives you and, and can be motivating. And in other ways, is just terribly, not depressing, but like you, if you see that and you can't see a path for how you can build a similar thing, it just looks like it's happening to everyone around you except for you. Yeah. And that that is a sort of like heavy pressure that's, I think, maybe too much for folks. Certainly, I, I think I went through periods of time where I wasn't sure why I was like working this hard trying to figure things out when it seemed very unlikely to work out. When was the first time that happened? When was the first time you saw someone close to you just, just strap onto a a rocket and just go to the moon. There are a couple companies that I talked to or folks that I knew well before anything happened. I mentioned Instagram. That was in, you know, 2009, 10-ish. I knew Ben Silverman, so he founded Pinterest. Uh, met him at a WWDC conference and then we had like Froyo a number of times afterwards. And he was showing me like the beginnings of, at that time it was a, a mobile sort of fashion app Mm. and eventually uh, became Pinterest, which is huge. So what, what happens, like, do you just say, hey, Ben, we're, we're going to go and get some Froyo, and he goes, can't, I'm <laughs> on a plane to Necker Island to talk Rich through his new, <laughs> you know? It's initially a slow burn, I think, for a lot of these companies, and then I think it just clicks all of a sudden yeah. at some point. I don't know if you use Discord, but also Jason Citrone, we used to be uh, working together in the same circles because I was in like the mobile advertising space. And so that, again, another story of like uh, before Discord was Discord, they were building out a like a, a massively online uh, game about, uh, I think it's called like Fates Forever or something, where you're competing against other people. And they noticed that the most interesting part of what they had built was this actual communication channel. And now Discord is huge among mm. like the community of podcasters or, or other. Not everyone's going to be mates or know 
someone who's going to suddenly have a company that's valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars than it wasn't a month ago. But everyone's going to experience that FOMO and everyone's going to experience that idea of why is everyone around me you know, getting married, falling in love, having babies? Why is everyone around me able to you know get a house together? How come I'm not? How come I'm not? What would you say is the, is the way for you and how did you manage to deal with everyone getting the thing that you wanted but you weren't getting? It's a little bit difficult. So that's a good question because like now, of course, I can look back and say in hindsight, oh, well, things, things work out, right? But actually, I, like that is not the takeaway that, that I have, especially given there was a period of about three years where I was building a lot of things, many of it alone by myself, and, and nothing was working out. And so it's interesting that you bring up this point too, because while a lot of these folks were like folks I knew directly and in, in, in person, I feel like you still get this sense that everyone is living a better life than you now because of social media. And when you're browsing through all that and seeing like the best curated aspects of people's life, it can often make you feel like, well, what am I doing? What I found without being overly cliching and saying, you know, just filter out the noise around you is that what you should be doing is focusing on the things that you actually genuinely authentically care about. And for me, it was like looking at problems that I felt were either personal or something that I could see a path for how I could personally solve. And so then it didn't matter whether I was like hugely successful or not. I knew there was a thing I could be laser focused on trying to address it. And that in itself was quite fulfilling for me. Focus on what is important to you. Filter everything else out. It's easier said than done, but I guess if we can make a conscious effort to do that, just imagine how much time we'd get back from worrying, from comparing, comparison. Oh, it's the worst. It's the comparison's a source of all misery, really, isn't it? Sam has found immense success with Patreon. It has enabled so many creators, so many artists to actually make a living. I use Patreon for this very podcast. I, I wanted to know how Patreon evolved over time. What it means to be a member and support uh, mm. an artist creator and be, and be part of that community. I think for us, initially, we started off with just this concept that uh, people want to support you, and people did, uh, largely for many creators. And I think as the space is sort of evolving, like what is really important is what does it mean to be a member of this community, and how can like creators and artists also like give back right into their community in a way that's scalable, but also in a way that is I think meaningful for this audience. It's interesting. I was reading a New York Times article about what is the dynamic between like creators uh, called influencers sometimes and their audience. And there was this term that was coined, I think, the 1950s called like parasocial um, relationships where it was used to describe TV personalities at the time where they could very easily establish like this intimacy mm. among a group of absolute strangers. Uh, but yet it was very one-sided. And so while you felt close to these big personalities and whatnot, there actually wasn't a relationship that was sort of two-way. And I think now because of uh, you know the internet and, and just enabling everyone to sort of have a democratic voice. There are ways that audiences today can sort of provide feedback and input back and uh, what they care about to a creator, to a, a podcast, or to whoever. And in some sense, work is a lot more organic and collaborative these days. And so, you know, I think we sort of fit in that bubble too somewhere in that puzzle. So. It sits to me as the kind of an exploded version of the fan club model that started when music started in that if you wrote in and you 
became a member of a fan club to a band, you would pay a certain amount of money each year and yeah. you would get the Christmas single that's only – I mean, the Beatles did it, you know. The, uh, you only got – this yeah. 45 record if you were in this fan club and they send out a newsletter every month and with photos that only you would see and it's kind of exclusive stuff. And But that's, you know, it's very intensive stuff, you know, and it's hard for a band to individually write sure. to 10,000 people every year. But what strikes me most wonderfully about, and it's interesting, there's two things you mentioned there, the parasocial thing, I've never heard that before, yeah. but I was talking with my friend Rich the other day about, look, I know I'm doing my job right, on TV, I noticed at first, I would hear people call my name across the street and I was like, oh, that person must know me because they've used a tone of voice that only people who know me use. Yeah. And we'd start talking, I'd be like, oh, we've never actually met. Oh, oh, just because I've spoken about so many personal things on at the time it was a music television show and they were referring to things that I'd spoken about. Yeah. I was like, oh, right, right, right. You think I'm your friend. Well, yeah. They feel like you've met, you know. Yeah, because well, like, I'm in their, their house side. every day. Exactly. I'm yeah. in their house for three hours every day Absolutely. playing music videos, right? So yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I'm, you know, there. And now as a podcaster, I'm with them every Monday on the way to and from work, right? And we, uh, we drive together wherever they are yeah. or take the train or bus or wherever. And so there's a familiarity and, and indeed an intimacy that, that you describe. And... What I like about what you do, and you mentioned it a few times, it wouldn't be successful if it was just give money to this person that makes a particular kind of art that you like and that's it. It's no, no, no. You are buying almost a membership into a community and inside this community you can see other people and it appeals to that kind of tribal nature that we as humans do and as the thing that's made us successful is by getting into tribes. And that that seems to be what has ticked off and it seems to have clicked as yeah. to why the Patreon thing works. I like to point to a story that uh, happened this year to sort of illustrate a lot of that. There's um, a YouTuber named Simone Gertz and she makes this channel called Shitty Robots. And uh, <laughs> it's it's very, uh, very cool stuff. Yeah. But she had a uh, remission of the tumor in her brain this year. And so I think she was going through some very difficult times and uh, she made a, a pretty heartfelt video that in this struggle that she was dealing with, the two constants in her life were her mother and her, her patrons of communities that was supporting her. And despite all the uncertainty, it was great having that stability with that community with her that, that she could always have that positive support with. And so uh, I think there are ways that even if you're not directly interacting one-on-one -on -one with your audience, that you feel that love and support in that sense too. And I think people that are are watching and listening to channels uh, also sort of recognize that. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty powerful. And this is just going to be the future. Like children today are also, I think, very early on getting locked into this notion of watching and, and being part of a community. I think there was a survey that was run uh, this year to celebrate the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon. And uh, it asked children, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Because it used to be like all kids want to be astronauts. And the, uh, the number one answer, at least in the US and the UK, was a YouTuber. That's what kids want to be now when they grow up. That's who they're looking up to by like a three to one ratio compared to like an astronaut. So at this point, I think it's just in our mentality that we want to be part of a community and like understanding and talking and relating to people, which is good. That's what to me defines humanity anyway, right? Like being in relationship to other folks. And we just got to figure out how we can do it with technology in a way that's healthy. Our yearning for community, 
and connection for many of us has become so strong in the last few years. And in a moment, we're going to hear more from Sam about how technology is changing how we relate to others right after we play some ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sam Yam lives and works among the people who are in charge, essentially, of all the social media platforms that we use every day. And I asked him whether he believes we can really make meaningful connections through online platforms. What defines a meaningful human connection is the thing that hopefully we as, as a people figure out and also uh, can find a way to use technology to figure out. Because I think technology ultimately can be very helpful. Like I don't want uh, folks fearing that in any way, right? It's just that Silicon Valley, in terms of its motivations up until this point, like having been there now since like early 2000s, was very much around, if you look at what the incentive structures look like, it was trying to build the biggest, most impactful thing ever. Because then when you're in that position, you can maybe fulfill more of your mission and do more good. And so because of that, if you look at all these social services, their mandate was to build engagement and usage, and those were the metrics. And so when you look at something like Newsfeed. I think actually a lot of tech companies, their motivations come from like a good place. Like they want to do something useful. And so the story about like how Facebook Newsfeed came about from the former head of product, uh, Chris Cox, was that they were looking at the behavior of what users were doing on Facebook and they were just going through everyone's profile page and looking for what you know, changes and updates were happening. And so Facebook was like, well, let's make that way easier by putting all those updates in a single feed. And initially people were in uproads about how this invades my privacy. I don't want everyone to know when my relationship status has changed. And now you're just surfacing all that, even though it was public information before anyway. But I think the folks at the time building that thought they were being more helpful. And now today it's become that because there is this feed, the only thing that matters is that you curate your life in a manner that shows that you're living your best life. And I think that's also a huge burden for every single individual. And so going way back to your question on like, how do we make sure that the relationships become healthy and important going forward? I think we have to sort of break out of this mentality of like, what's the strongest level of engagement and the the way we can almost addict people into using these services and step back and talk about what are the interactions that are actually meaningful, even if there's not a lot of them that are actually healthy and fulfilling for humans. I don't know. <laughs> no, I do. No, that's, yeah. it's, it's, look, because you're at the coalface. You're you're among you're among the the people that code this stuff and, and write this stuff. And as you know, one of the arguments of Roger McNamee, who was a um, 
advisor to Zuckerberg and Elevation Partners is is Bono's guy and yeah, he yeah. got he got Sandberg hired and then he got out and has now just come back going hey 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 I'm not I'm still a shareholder and because I'm a shareholder I'm going to put my hand up and say this is really terrible we all need to you know he's it's right interesting book called you know Zucked it's a fascinating read okay. one of his arguments is that the very DNA of a lot of these products are written by usually men of yeah. a particular social class, of a particular racial profile, of a particular emotional spectrum. And so when it comes to coding, what picture should I show this person first or, you know, how long should I wait before I show them this, how many times they got liked or not, that decision that they are making is not overseen by anyone. It's just like, oh, I'm here in this moment, I'm going to write this line of code. Oh, yeah, boom, and they hit enter. And that tiny little decision made at that level inside the deep, deep, deep squillions of lines of code ends up shaping behavior of someone in Mumbai, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And as someone who has been shoulder to shoulder with a, a lot of the people that build these things, what would you say to that? Are we indeed just living out the whims of coders decisions that they made on a ramen and Red Bull bender? I do think uh, the mentality from within is that folks are trying to be objective about things. They're just optimizing almost generically, in their minds, maybe good metrics. Uh, I mentioned one of them was like engagement, but now we actually see how that's unhealthy if you're addicted to a device. I will also say that this issue that you're bringing up is going to be really important to wrestle through before we get into stuff like AI. Because similarly, we're seeing things now where it's like AI is just its own machine. It's going to figure out it's, it's objective in its own way. But the, the way that it is set up oftentimes, and even the prompts that it's given, it ends up producing very bias outputs Oftentimes, I think there were, I, I'm not going to get the studies right, but I, I know that there were a few like sort of image studies where AI were supposed to identify certain things and it came out being almost racist basically by the end of it. But it's just replicating what it was built with, right. which it carries the biases of the people that That's built right. it. That's right. Yeah. Or right. if not the direct biases, the like overlooking of situations because they were not familiar with that in their own lives, right? Yeah. And so- being within Silicon Valley, I certainly feel a sense of like shifting tides where there is a heavy push. And I think that's certainly true for Patreon too, of like diversity and inclusion. And not just within the, the companies and, and the folks working on these issues, but also making sure that they're sort of evaluating the constituents that represent the people that use the platform and service. Like for us, we want to make sure that as we're growing out the business, it's not just one segment of users with like a very uh, homogenous background or, or whatever else. And so it's something I think folks work on, but of course, because of the history of everything that's been built out, like I, I, there's going to be a long road. And that was it. That's a little quick bite of my chat with Sam Yan. Really inspirational guy. You can find him on on social media. He's Sam Yam, S-A-M-Y-A-M. And um, if you scroll through, you'll find the full conversation with Sam. It's from early 2020. Uh, so one of the last actually face-to-face interviews I did before we went into lockdown for the first time. I'll be back here on Friday to check in with you and on Monday with a brand new conversation. Um, thank you so much uh, for being a part of the show. Thank you to Andy Ma, who edited this show, Bree Steele, who produced and researched this show, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot, and of course, Sato Haider, who made all the music. Until I see you on Friday, love from the floor of a walk-in wardrobe in a rental house somewhere in Queensland. <laughs>
And uh, until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 